In our continuing look at uh, how we develop our communities and cities, how we develop this city in particular, uh, and what happens with the future of Port Covington, we're having numerous conversations. Um, when we talked to Barbara Samuels the other week, the head of housing for the ACLU here in Maryland, she talked about Oak Park uh, uh, in Illinois and suggested we call Rob Raymeyer, who is executive director of the Oak Park Regional Housing Center, uh, to talk about what they did there, and we have him on the phone with us now. And Rob, welcome. Good to have you with us on the program. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. So let's take us back. So what? talk about what is Oak Park? So Oak Park is a suburb. It's the first suburb directly west of the city of Chicago. If you were on either our two of our L lines, the green line and the blue line, we would be uh, the first suburb and the only suburb that you would get to on those lines. Um, and we are, there's 52,000 people. It's a moderately to becoming more dense community. Um, it's pretty solidly middle class at this point, but it's also very racially diverse and integrated. So now, what? Take it back to the beginning of this history. I mean, I, from what I've been reading, um, uh, there there was always a history in Oak Park from the very beginning of uh, of actually a, a Maryland, a Baltimore family that uh, originally a Baltimore family, Percy Julian, the, one of the great chemists, who moving into Oak Park, and there's always been these battles over integration, but that was a while back, right? Well, that was in the early 1950s, right. and I often talk about that as the spark that got us on the path to where we are. Um, when he moved to town, someone tried to firebomb his home, and uh, they were luckily unsuccessful at being able to try to do that. But the more important part is that 300 Oak Parkers, and at that time, Percy Julian was the first black homeowner in Oak Park. So these were all white people who came to his defense and rallied on his front lawn to say this man deserves to live here. Uh, we're an open and inclusive community. And that was the beginning, really, of the Oak Park uh, strategy. Um, that was where folks started to change their mindsets about what it meant to be a successful community. And that, I mean, and, and, and of course, he's one of our, he was a, a brilliant biochemist. Um, but then, so talk a bit about what happened then in the 60s and 70s where this shift really began because that was the point in many cities where um, where black folks moving uh, into neighborhoods that are traditionally white, Jewish, Irish neighborhoods, where they happen to be, and then white folks fleeing. So what was the story in Oak Park then? Right. So in the late 60s and early 70s, Oak Parkers did a lot of things to promote a more inclusive community. We passed a fair housing ordinance at almost the same time as the Fair Housing Act was passed in 1968. We had efforts in town to help people move into the community, while at the same time the communities that were surrounding us, the other suburbs surrounding us, were actually acting very hostily towards people of color, which was at that time mostly African Americans trying to move into their towns. And then at the same time, the neighborhood in Chicago that is directly east of us was changing through blockbusting and steering and panic peddling from a predominantly white neighborhood to predominantly black neighborhood. And, and that, that was happened Austin. in a very that was Austin, short period right? of time. That was the Austin neighborhood in right. Chicago, yes. And it happened very, very quickly. And Oak Parkers saw that happening, and they saw how it was not only um, something that they wanted to avoid socially, they could see that what was happening in that process was it was a way that the real estate industry was making money on both ends of the deal and really stripping wealth away from both the African-American families moving in and the white families moving out. And they really were adamant that that wasn't going to be able to happen in their community. 
So, uh, so talk about what, what happened. I mean, how did the community organize itself and change and grow into um, an interracial neighborhood? Well, I think the brilliance of it is, is the community recognized that if they were going to build an inclusive and integrated community, they were going to have to get involved in the process of people searching for a home. And so they created an entity, which I run today, the Oak Park Regional Housing Center, which did just that. The folks in uh, the community opened up the housing center in 1972, and the housing center was here to help anyone who was looking to move into Oak Park find a place to live. And it's since morphed into um, really focusing only on the rental market, um, and we sort of leverage the real estate community to take care of the home ownership market for us um, through cooperation and training. And then, but we still, to this day, if someone wants to find an apartment, they can come to us. We have the listings of almost every apartment in Oak Park, and we can help them move. And in that process, what we're doing is really two important things. One, we're marketing the community as a an excellent place to live that is open to everyone so that we get a demand that reflects the diversity of our region. And then when folks come to look for a place to live, we are helping them expand their minds to think about neighborhoods that they otherwise would have avoided so that we can help promote integration in the community. So we want to be both a diverse community, but we don't want to be segregated within our community. So we're helping people think about ways where they can move so that each neighborhood, each block, even each building is as integrated as possible. So now, I, I'm curious, when you say that, the first thing that comes to mind, I mean, do you, since it's, Oak Park is, how big is Oak Park first? Let's start Oak there. Oak Park is really only four and a half square miles. It's three miles north to south and a mile and a half east to west. So, I mean, is it, I, in, 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 I don't mean this in pejorative sense, but is it, is it so, do, do you steer people to certain neighborhoods? And some steering has horrible connotations, you know, in the world of housing. Uh, and is there, are there quotas? I mean, what, what do you, how do you work that? Well, there are not quotas. We can't have quotas. Right, um, right. And, um, but what we do look at is we do a couple things. One, we think about what does our region look like? So if our region, and the Chicago region, is about, oh, 60-something percent white, 20-something percent African-American, 20-something percent Latino, about 5 percent Asian. And so we think Oak Park should at least try to approach some parity with what that looks like in the region. And the, and the reason that we think that is that if it does, then that means the people of all of those major racial groups are looking for housing and able to find housing in equal proportion to what they make up as the population. So that's an indication that the barriers are, there aren't a lot of barriers there for folks. We're Pretty, we're doing pretty well on that front. We're actually underrepresented for Latinos um, in a fairly significant amount, but that is mostly due to an overrepresentation in African Americans and whites. And so, um, and the Asian number is like almost exactly the same. Now, that doesn't mean that if, uh, you know, that we look for, if it's 22% in the region, that we look to try to get to exactly 22% for somebody in our community, but it does mean that we look at that as a benchmark, and if we were changing from 22 to 10 or changing from 22 to 50, we would wonder why is that occurring, and is there something we need to do to make sure that everyone feels welcome in the community? Um, so that's an important part of what we're doing. As far as how we're getting them to integrate, it's not really a steering issue so much, or like some people will call it reverse steering. Right, right. Uh, but I, what I would 
I think it would be more properly termed anti-steering. We're taking people away from the mindset that they're often in because of steering. So um, if they were to meet with typical real estate agents, not necessarily agents in Oak Park because we've worked so hard with them, but in almost any other neighborhood or community in Chicago, they would be meeting with a real estate agent and the real estate agent would follow the, 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 the home seeker's lead and that person is going to give them an idea of the communities they want to live in. Well, we know based on the research that's out there and also based on the evidence of the, of the data from the clients that have used our center over the years, that people have preconceived notions about where they should and should not live or where they will and won't uh, consider. And it's really very closely correlated with race. You can't, I haven't ever done a regression analysis to find out if it's cause and effect, but it's definitely like if you do a plot to look at the correlation, it's very, very close. And so um, we also know from the interactions of folks we talk to that they use language that is basically sometimes explicit, but many times coded language to talk about how they're trying to avoid certain neighborhoods in the community. Um, and they will use sort of references that connect to issues of race. So is the community of Oak Park racially integrated and economically integrated or mostly racially integrated? Um, the racial integration is our most important concern, and it is certainly racially integrated. It is economically integrated as well, but that has to do with additional policy that's been added on to our racial integration strategy. So we have our own housing authority in the town. There are 550 voucher holders um, that that housing authority works with. So that's about 3% of our households in the community, which is um, you know, a percentage point higher than it is nationally or in the Chicago region. For the, Across the country, only 2% of households are, are voucher holders. Well, we've done a little bit better than that in our community, and our, we work with our housing authority to help make sure that the voucher holders are dispersed throughout the community. It doesn't feel like one part of the community is where all the Section 8 buildings are or something like that. You can't even do that in Oak Park. There's no way to point to a building and say that's where all the voucher holders live. Um, we, because of our integration strategy there, we also um, have started to, we've had one low-income housing tax credit property built in the community, and that's happened more recently as the community has gotten more expensive. So it used to be that our rental market was a pretty, um, it was never the least expensive, in them, but it was a rental market that working class people could move into. And um, it's getting a little tougher recently, and so we're trying to come up with ways to deal with that issue as well. The tax credit properties are one. Um, we use some of our CDBG dollars to help with rehab of units that then have to have uh, criteria then have criteria to help um, low and moderate income folks move into those units. Um, and those uni- and, units have people of all incomes in them. Um, so. Well, the low-income housing tax credit property is an, is a 51-unit building that you have to be low-income for. The other program is a program where you might have a building with six units and you would help rehab two of them, and those two would have low-income folks, but the other four would be market-rate renters. So that ideal is what we're searching for, but even in that building that has the 51 folks altogether, 
that building is located in a neighborhood that has a lot of amenities, a lot of opportunity, um, some expensive homes around it. And, you know, while ideally at every scale we would have full integration, in this situation what we've done is met a serious community need and then located that building in a way so at least the neighborhood will be racially and economically integrated. So how does that function on a couple levels here? How does that function in terms of uh, interaction between people who live in Oak Park? Right. Yeah, that's an important factor because um, one thing that I always like to talk to people about is that it's not as if we figured out every problem ever in Oak Park. It's not a <laughs> utopia. Right, right. Um, but we do have, and and it's not as if um, there's always constant and you know perfectly harmonious communication among people of different racial and economic backgrounds, but we do have efforts in place to consistently improve on that. So um, whether it's uh, efforts that happen with the housing center putting on community forums, whether there are, there's also efforts that are, we have a community foundation in the community that will um, promote racial dialogue. We have a number of nonprofits that serve as a very strong and very um, proactive and sort of cutting edge safety net. We're often like sort of, our organizations are often uh, awarded for their innovative policies and those sorts of things. And then um, even our library system and our park district work to make sure that we're connecting people in different ways. Um, and then finally, you know, our, our municipal government, which we have, we call a village. Um, the village government, including in the police department, does a lot to work on making sure that uh, there's greater uh, dialogue across the community and that the police and the community are seeing each other as um, you know, as on the same side and working together. And, you know, I think, you know, all the the things that have happened, and certainly some of those have happened in Baltimore recently, and we have Chicago right next to us, um, the, uh, you know, between police and, and residents, those are things that we're actively in trying to ensure would never happen here. So, um, and that is, all of that goes back to this commitment that the community has to diversity and integration and promoting a more inclusive community that hopefully, in the end, in the long run, will provide for equitable outcomes as well. I mean, that's our reason for doing this. Um, our, we want to make sure the community remains prosperous and vibrant, and we want to make sure that everybody shares in the, in the equity and opportunity. So how, how integrated um, is the leadership of the government, of the police, um, of the people who call the shots? Yeah, it's pretty integrated. Um, I mean, we have diverse boards at every level. So both, we believe it or not, we have two school districts, one elementary, one high school. Mm -hmm. Those are integrated. Our park district, our village government, our township government um, all have uh, diverse uh, uh, members on them. And actually, like the one that's, the, of course, the most visible is our is our municipal government, our village government, and it would we run we don't run with regular political parties in Oak Park. Hmm. Um, there aren't Democrats and Republicans in Oak Park. We have local parties. Um, what, does and, that mean? what does that mean, local parties? So, <laughs> so it, you know, it's a very funny thing. We have um, something in Oak Park 
called the Village Managers Alliance. It's the group of folks who actually were very involved in the initial stages of the Oak Park strategy and also an anti-corruption strategy in, in the community back in the 60s and 50s. And um, they will often, they won't actually have a party candidate, but they will have a slate of candidates that they will endorse. So people run independently, but they will be endorsed on a slate from one of these local parties. And um, so the VMA is the one that's been most consistent. And there's others that have come up and popped up and disappeared over the years. But any one of those groups would never even consider promoting a slate that didn't have a diverse set of folks. So it's either three or four people every time that we do the election. And um, the uh, it would be it would be uh, like an absurdity in Oak Park for there to be three white people or four white people on your on your slate. That just it's like you would it would be a bad political move for the for the group, and um, it just would be something that we would all you know citizens would sort of be upset about that that it wasn't in you know in the spirit of the community. And and uh, and you said the schools are are also both racially and economically integrated. People don't yeah not running yeah. off with their kids in private schools. Yeah, you know, we don't have a huge problem with kids going to private schools. Our schools perform quite well, so that's, um, that's. I mean, it's you know, it's definitely a little less white than it is for the community as a whole. Part of that has to do with a, a little bit with private school, a lot, and and a little part of that has to do with um, two other phenomena. One, I think uh, there might be a greater diversity as uh, as you as ages get lower in Oak Park, just like in the rest of the country. And there is a phenomena of folks moving to Oak Park during the period in which their kids are school-aged and then leaving afterwards. So um, that sometimes occurs in the rental market in particular. Um, And, you know, because people are trying to escape um, other really poor school districts, and so that's something I think the community actually can take as a sense of pride that we're able to, uh, you know, be a place that those students can come to and feel like they're getting a, and they and their parents feel like they're getting a safer and better environment for their children. It's just that, that aside from one, one of the things I read, that was that somebody referred to as a columnist in the Chicago Tribune of the People's Republic of Oak Park. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was something that we kind of got pushed on when in the '80s, I think, uh, when some of these efforts uh, were, you know, they were a lot more front and center and. Um, you know, the folks who are more libertarian or the folks who are a little bit more conservative uh, bristle at the idea that we want to be intentional about providing opportunity in our community rather than just sit back and let the market do whatever it would do. Um, you know, we're not like doing some kind of crazy socialist experiment here. We're really working within individual choices and helping leverage those individual choices to create structural change. So. One of the most important things I like to talk about when we talk about this model is that it doesn't require a bunch of new infrastructure. It doesn't require a bunch of, um, you know, sort of draconian uh, plans and, and rules. It really is about just putting a structure in place to give people an opportunity to make a more informed choice about where they're going to live. And once they meet with us, which is really what that mechanism is, coming to the housing center and sitting down with an advisor and getting some listings, but also talking through what the 
uh, amenities are in, for those listings and what the amenities are in the neighborhoods where they're at and talking through people's fears and misconceptions and then changing their mindset about where they might want to live. And that really is not, you know, anything radical. It's really just a conversation. And once people know the real information they get, um, or they get better information, they are able to make the best choice for themselves. So many times in the housing market, we make decisions based on incomplete information and false assumptions. And one of the things that makes our program so brilliant is that we're removing those false assumptions and adding to that incomplete information so that people understand their true choices. I read also that that, um, in the the report I alluded to earlier from Temple University about Oak Park, um, that was this long, long report, um, that that speaking of economic integration and other parts, that, that Oak Park created what they're calling a successful, innovative gang intervention program. Now, well, tell me about a bit about that. You know, that's something that must not really be um, as uh, prevalent today uh-huh. uh, because I really don't know much about that. And when that paper was written, it was before I was the executive director. Yeah, this is the 1990s. But yeah, right, right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's not really an issue that we deal with. Now, I will say that, um, you know, we do have, a, you know, a fairly high uh, police per capita um, ratio here. Um, but, again, what's been great, and we just had our police chief retire after being here for 30 years, but um, what he was so wonderful about and what the police department, I think, has institutionalized that's so wonderful is our police officers and our police department approach their job as if they're social workers, not as if they're you know, military officers. They are in the community to be helpful and to serve the community. And certainly there are times in which they have to, um, you know, deal with, uh, you know, uh, arresting someone or things like that. But a big part of what their job is in the community and the way that it's understood in the community is that the police are providing a connection to uh, the village government. And they are providing a sense of, um, you know, understanding that we have a broad community that's working together. So... um, it's a different mindset, I think, than a lot of other communities about what the police are here to do. Um, and, you know, it's a little bit more, I mean, this is an interesting point because I often say this, that Oak Park has always got this very interesting combination of being a very sort of old-fashioned, traditional community, like you might see, you know, almost like Mayberry, and being this extremely progressive community in which we're trying to make sure that we're racially inclusive and, in, and economically inclusive and that we're environmentally sustainable and that we're doing everything we can to be open for, you know, LGBTQ community and many, many other things. Um, but at the same time, when you come to Oak Park, I don't think you get a sense of, like, it's overly earnest. You really get a sense that the community is just a really nice place to live. And part of that reason is when you come here, no matter who you are, you feel welcome. This has been a really fascinating conversation. I'd like to do more of this and learn a great deal more. There's a lot here for us to wrestle with um, in our community uh, from learning from what you did at Oak Park. Uh, Rob Braymeyer is executive director of the Oak Park Regional Housing Center. Fascinating, Rob. I deeply appreciate your taking the time with us today. I appreciate it. Anytime. And up next, folks, it's our latest installment of a brand new part of Sound Bites, our weekly series on food, agriculture, the environment, and energy. We open up our installment of Sound Bites 
looking at the Environmental Protection Agency and what the Trump administration is doing to gut it and destroy it. And then we talk about the debate taking place in Annapolis over fracking. But first, we have to take a very short news break, and we're coming right back, so stay with us.